We will be hosting another live cast September 9th, 10 a.m. EST with special guest Ashley Goodall. Ashley is co-author with Marcus Buckingham of Nine Lies About Work, a free-thinking leader's guide to the real world. This is a must-listen event, and we invite you to join us live and to submit your questions to Ashley. Register now at ConnellyOwens.com live or see the show description for details. That's September 9th, 10 a.m., EST, Ashley Goodall. We will see you there. You are listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Greg Thompson is president of Blue Point Leadership Development and the author of The Master Coach. He personally coaches many of the most successful executives in the Fortune 100 companies and has worked in 40 countries in nearly every major industry. Today, he talks to us about The Master Coach and how we can become stronger coaches in our organizations. This episode was recorded live with an audience, but due to some technical difficulties, some parts of the episode have audio issues. We apologize for the trouble and hope you enjoy the show. We're really excited to have Greg Thompson. Greg, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate uh, you giving us your time to share your knowledge, so thank you. You're very welcome. It's a uh, pleasure to be here. It's an honor and a privilege, in fact. Yeah, great. Um, so I want to start off by just, well, yeah, look, I, I had your book and it was sitting on my shelf for a long time. And, and as uh, I'm writing this new book called Scaling Culture, obviously one of our chapters is around coaching. And I was like, you know, that book's got to have something interesting to say, Master Coach. It was, I don't even know where I got the book from, Greg. And I picked up the book and, and of course, as Shannon said, I've been telling everybody about this book because I had a very huge aha moment. And my aha moment when I read your book, which I thought was fabulous, by the way, um, I think it's a top coaching book that I've certainly ever read, um, was that I thought I was a good coach until I read your book. And then I realized that I wasn't a great coach. My process was not the, the, the actual process, very different from what I was doing. And so that was a big aha moment for me. Someone who's been in business, you know, for 20 years, thought I was doing a good job as a coach. And, and I think after reading your book, I had to go back to the drawing board and say, well, I don't really think I was headed down the right, <clears throat> in the spirit of coaching, I had the, the right spirit, but the process, I think I got, I got way wrong. And so thank you for that, Greg. That was awesome. And that's what today's conversation is going to be about is coaching. And, but let me start off, Blue Point development leadership, what got you into that? And how does that tie back to company culture? Uh, tell us about that. Sure. Um, thank you very much. And thanks for the, uh, uh, the warm introduction. Um, if you look at this idea of culture, and it's a very popular idea, and, and you do great work, Ron, in, in the work you do in terms of looking at or helping organizations develop stronger, more productive, more effective cultures. And the, if you look at it from our perspective in, in Bluepoint, we believe that culture is downstream from leadership. Mm -hmm. So if you, if, you, if you believe that culture is downstream from leadership, then we need to examine okay, what, what really is leadership and how, how does it manifest in organizations. And I guess what makes us maybe a little uh, uh, unique in Bluepoint is we believe that then the math on this is that leadership happens one conversation at a time. And so if leadership happens one conversation at a time, if we can help leaders 
have more impactful conversations, then we can, that will flow all the way down to culture. And as you said, most of us try to be helpful. We're trying to be helpful in these conversations. We're trying to uh, give people advice and we're trying to help them fix their problems and, and the like. But most of our research tells us that that's not as helpful as doing something else. It's, it's doing something else. It's about being a catalyst for the performance and learning and development of others. And hence, the master coach really is uh, my uh, uh, attempt to help leaders look at their energy, their intention of helping other people through a different set of glasses and maybe provide them some assistance in that. Well, it hit the mark for me because it's exactly what it did for me. You know, it, uh, you know, it, it was interesting. I'm going to tell you what I used to do. And my coaching in a nutshell was essentially I would, uh, you know, typically it's probably 90, 10, 90% of the time I've identified something that I want to speak with something, somebody about 10% of the time someone's approached me and said, Hey, can, can I, can you, can you help me flush this out? But on the 90%, I've typically asked clarifying questions. What's going on? What's the issue? And then I kind of jump to, because through, so I'm in an organization called entrepreneurs organization. We're in these forums and our process, which I really thought was coaching, but it, it isn't, uh, which I followed was essentially once I identified the issue and asked some questions and clearly understood, then I jumped to my own experience. And then from there, once I've jumped to my own experience and how I've dealt with that in the past, then I've tried to motivate someone to go ahead and do that. But that is not what I read in your book. And I, <clears throat> and I was like, oh my God. And actually my, 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 uh, Amanda, who works with us, my assistant, she was like, no, no, you're a good coach. I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I've really dropped the ball on this. We had a big debate about it. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about that. You know, let's go back to the drawing board. So, or, 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 or the, the starting point, which is coaching does happen in two formats, right? For the most point, Greg, someone I've identified, if I'm a leader in an organization, I've identified a situation or someone's brought something to me. And how should we be approaching people? Because it's more common that we've seen or identified something than somebody's going to be vulnerable and say, hey, I'm having a challenge, correct? Well, not most times, but you can tell when you really are seen as being somebody coach-like in an organization. Uh, you'll have people at your door. You'll have people coming to you saying, like, I, I just, I'd love to have a conversation with you about this issue, this opportunity, mm -hmm. this challenge. And so, sorry, Greg, let me, let me just ask you, what and you talk about this in the book, and I, I jumped over this. What is a coach and what is it not? Can you, can you talk, because you talk about mentors and different things, and then what is a coach and what is it not? Talk to us about that quickly. Sure. Um, the processes that you describe that you, from your own experiences and the way that you inter interact with, with others um, comes from the very best of intentions. Yes. Many of us try to do that, try to give people advice, try to uh, give people answers, try to help people fix things, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. It's just that it's a low-grade assistance. And so if you look at uh, advising, if you look at mentoring, if you look at teaching, mm -hmm. these are all valuable roles to play with, with other people. The however is this, and here's the key for me personally, is that we in, in Bluepoint have literally asked probably somewhere between, oh, maybe five and 7,000 leaders to yep. look back in their lives, their mm -hmm. careers, and point to a person and a time and a somebody who's done something very special for you, been at the crossroads for you, helped you make a great decision, 
help you make a, a shift in your career, your attitude. Somebody who is really quite frankly coach-like yeah. never ever is a trainer right. who acts as a, is somebody who's giving advice. It's always somebody who is much challenged me, somebody who, who encouraged me, somebody who took a chance on me, somebody mm -hmm. who saw something in me I couldn't see in myself. I couldn't so see it, in myself, right? Yeah, it's much more about not having the answer, not even having the advice, but being that catalyst for the person making their own decision, solving their own problem, using their own talents, stepping mm -hmm. out and being committed to their own path forward. Mm -hmm. And even though that's the, the space that I work in, I, I try not to denigrate, you know, the advisors and the mentors and the trainers. That's all, all important. Yes. But it's this idea of coaching. And this is it's one of the most difficult things for us to do because we love to give advice. That's right. We love to be teachers. Mm -hmm. We love to be mentors. I mean, it feeds right into our egos and, and, and we do it with the very best of intentions. Yeah. But all our research tells us the impact is, is limited right. of those. Very powerful when we function as a true coach. Mm -hmm. And that, and, and so I'm going to play that back for you. It sounds like coaching is working with someone to bring out the best in them, that they, the process happens from them within. Is that right. fair, Greg? Yeah. Sorry. I, the, uh, the stream was lost there yeah. for, for a moment. Could you please repeat that? Yeah. So the coaching process is, essentially bringing out the best in someone, but, uh, but coaching them, allowing them to do it themselves. Exactly. And it, but it, it, it's often not that linear. It's okay. often about helping uh, a person, their career, their work, their lives through fresh eyes. And if you look at it, hallmarks of it is that it's really about the other person. And it's something fresh. We call it, there's fresh tracks. There's something really new about the pathway. And so if you look at coaching from an output perspective, there's only two things that a coach, a great coach is interested in, is that's helping the other person gain insight, some mm -hmm. insight, learn something, and to take action on that. Mm -hmm. And so it's about being a catalyst for that. And so let's dig deep into that process. And so... When we've identified, if you're in a leadership role, and you've identified that someone's having a challenge, can you break down the process? What should that approach look like first? What does it look like? Sure. Um, let me just back up just one bit on yeah. your question is yeah. that uh, coaching is not just for people who have challenges. Right. Coaching is for people who have opportunities. Coaching, quite frankly, is for right. all of us because we're all stuck to some degree. Mm. We're all stuck to some degree. Mm -hmm. The clients mm -hmm. I, work for, I, I work with, are amazing men and women. They are extraordinarily successful and they are extraordinarily talented and have done great things already. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that in terms of where you start with this idea of, of, of being helpful to somebody who has an opportunity, a challenge, uh, a dilemma, uh, a, a particular problem area, yep. it all starts about being able to have that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you, you've, you've taken all the coaching programs and you've learned the nifty uh, coaching skills and uh, communication uh, uh, processes and the like. Quite frankly, if people do not trust you, right, they will not take coaching from you. And you mm -hmm. may as well save your breath to cool your porridge. Mm -hmm. So it, before you can get to that conversation, you need to earn the right really to, to be in it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, 
it's, it's, I don't need to, to do the, to show you the research. All of us just need to look around the organization and, and identify people that we would not willingly have a coaching conversation with. That's right. And it's, so it's my hope that we're not that person for others. And how do you advise leaders to build trust quickly? Because in some cases they have to do that quickly. Yeah, absolutely. But the interesting thing is, is that we're very transparent. Yeah. And it, the, the core is what we call noble intention. And noble intention is recognizing that it's not about you. It's about the other person. Mm-hmm. And your sole intention is to help that other person mm. leave the conversation better in some way. Mm-hmm. They leave functioning better. They learn, leave with an idea. They leave inspired. They leave mm. energized. So, and the, the fascinating thing about human interactions is we know pretty quickly if a person has, has our best intentions That's at right. heart. Right. And it, what's also inter- interesting, Ron, is that even if you haven't taken all the, 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 the coaching programs and no executive processes to go through, if you have that noble intention, mm. people are going to give you wide berth anyway. If your intention is to have a conversation with somebody else that is, is directed at helping them mm. onto a better pathway, they're going to give you a, a lot of leeway in doing so. I, look, I agree. And, and, it's funny because when I go back to my aha moment, my intention was always strong. I would say, hey, Greg, the intention of today's conversation is to make you a better leader than me. Right. And so you'd know, look, Ron, your intention's strong. You really are here to help me. Where I really didn't do a great job after, and especially um, was apparent after reading the book was, and probably because I move very fast, I'm um, not impatient, but... Um, you know, ADHD, and I, I move at lightning speeds at some cases, is the process of asking the question so to allow you to get somewhere on your own. That's where I don't think I, I had uh, done a great job as a coach. I think my intentions were always good. Because you really mean, as I read in the book, the questions are critical, right? Like th- this is to really get to the core of what's going on and to really allow someone to get there on their own, correct? Or am I missing it? No, a- a- absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I'm no different. I mean, I, I would love to uh, have a great idea for my clients and I would love to uh, be the guy that, that helped them make a major shift in their marketplace and, and mm-hmm. such. I'd love to be that guy. And it's not that we never have conversations around that. But if I'm really honest about this idea of intention, sure, my intention was to help other people solve their problems, uh, seize a new opportunity and the like. But I was in that as well. My ego was in that as well. Right. I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to, yeah. to have that success of that leader attributed to me. Right. See, when, when things changed for me is when I really realized that when the process worked at its very best, hmm. the person I was coaching gets all the credit. And I need to, to recognize that I, 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 I have to be happy with just being involved in the conversation and walk away recognizing that that person's going to feel like they almost did it on their on their own. Right, right. I love that. Um, and so, what are some some? Can you go through? Do you have a, a, a and or does it change every time you have a conversation? Is there key questions that that set you down the path? Is there anything that you advise? Like there is these just great key stable questions that we should always ask. Um, there are some questions, and I'll share a few with, uh, with you sure. here in, in, in a moment, but again, I'd like to put that into, into context. Um, the purpose of the Master Coach book is to help leaders uh, put more arrows in their quiver. Mm-hmm. So 
you probably had a conversation with a really, really uh, uh, master coach, a great coach, and they just make these really insightful observations or take the conversation in, in really uh, productive ways. The purpose of the, uh, the master coach in many ways was to help you accelerate that process, to fill your quiver up with things that you can use in the coaching yeah. process, like what we call big questions. And, yeah. and thank you for that, for that question. The, 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 the thing that's important to, to note though, mm. is that coaching never follows a one, two, three, four, five path. And as the coach, all you have is the now. So all you have is the next moment ahead of you and you make, need to make a decision in that moment. What is the most important thing that I can do for this other person? And one of the reasons that I, I don't have the exact four questions, I'm going to share a few questions that I think are, are pretty meaningful in terms of mm. starting a conversation is because in that moment, if I truly have the other person's intention at heart, I need to make this choice. Is it a question? Is it a piece of feedback? Is it a constructive confrontation? Is it an insight I want to share? Is it a challenge? Is it nothing at all? Is it silence? And so the, it, it, it is hard for some people to, to grasp and to come away out of the Master Coach book with the notion that there's no process. I mean, like the GROW model and others, these yeah. are all good ways of thinking about coaching, but none of them work. I mean, they're all good. They help you organize your thoughts. But what we need to do in coaching at that moment mm. is to uh, do what is very best for the, uh, the person we're coaching. Now, the individual. Long, long, long preamble to, to your question, which is a great question. Uh, there are some questions that I find help the person that I'm coaching make a shift and start thinking differently. Mm. And they would, one question was asked of me about three years ago, and it really set the stage for the last three years of my working life and I still haven't answered it. And the question is this, Greg, is your best work ahead of you or behind you? So these are questions that are foundational for us. Um, another question that I find helpful early on is asking somebody like when you're at your very best, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. So that puts the conversation over to them. Yeah. Also gets them thinking about, okay, what, what can I do to be at my very best? And what does that look like? And then uh, some question around passions and values. And I mean, what is if, in this conversation right now, what is the most important thing we can be talking about? Mm. Those kinds of kinds of questions set the stage to lift the, the quality of the conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, a, a few of the questions that came out uh, in the book that I, I just, I think I'm just moving too fast is kind of what I told myself. And, and, and also to your point is, is really separating myself from whoever I'm coaching. Say, this isn't about me. It's about them. And, and saying this isn't about my ego and participating in their success either. Cause I think that's an easy trap. I think as you go through this, you know, journey of coaching, that's gotta be one bucket we've all been caught in. And I've certainly, I've, I've certainly been there and probably am still there today in some cases. Um, and so one question that I read in the book, which I believe was, okay, Greg, there's a situation, fine. And, you know, what, what part do you play in this? And how would that person see you? And I was like, oh, my God, that's a question I should have asked a thousand times. And, and, it, and it seems like a lot of these questions, again, foundational questions to start to change the person's perspective, right? Because 
Is that part of the process is changing perspectives to get to some type of change? Is that part of the theory? Um, there is an idea that, that is foundational to coaching. And, and, the, and the idea is there is always a choice. Right. That person you're coaching always has a choice. And it, it, it's always a choice. And the, the other, other piece of that is that that's the only person you can coach. You can't coach the people they're having difficulty with. You can't mm. coach uh, somebody they'd like to influence. You only can coach them. And so the, the idea is that, that helping them, even if the problem, they're only 5% responsible for the problem. You only can coach on that 5%, not the 95%. Mm-hmm. So it, it is this idea that they are responsible for their own performance. They are responsible for their, their, their own outcomes. They're responsible for their own decisions. There's a high degree of personal accountability in great coaching. And so, yeah, if, if you, we are coaching people that have a small piece of a problem, we still only can coach them on that small piece. Now, quite frankly, most times they have a bigger piece than they, they would like to admit. And, and you, to your other point, though, do we not as leader, we're also accountable, are we not, for their performance? I know you're saying it's, they're accountable for their own performance, but we also, there's got to be, you know, and, and I've certainly felt this before, well, I'm working with you, Greg, and geez, I'm, I need to get Greg moving quicker here because it's also the performance of the company, performance of the team. There's got to be dual side accountability because I'm accountable for your performance too as a leader, correct? Absolutely. The, you know, accountability gets a bad rap in organizations these days. Yeah. You know, because... You know, and a great coach is also puts a big emphasis on accountability, personal accountability and their accountability. But coming back to the bad rap, I mean, we use the the word accountability through organizations these days. The three code for we got to find the underperformers. We're going to get them out of the organization. We got to burn the witches. You know, this, this word of accountability. When we look at accountability, we really should see it through the lens of honoring people. Mm -hmm. When, when we hold people accountable, what we're saying is, you are important. What you do is important. And we need to stop this idea that it, we use this word accountability to identify underperformance. It really is to honor people and their, and their contribution. Now, the, 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 the leader coach has a much more difficult job than me because I work strictly at the coaching end of the continuum. I'm not mm-hmm. responsible for the person's performance. Right. This is why it is so challenging to be a coach-like leader. And my heart goes out to these men and women. They're moving up and down that continuum all of the time. Yeah. I mean, they're telling people what to do. They're giving advice. They're teaching. They're training and such. And what I'm asking them to do is make a shift towards coaching and to be more coach-like. However, this does not mean they're going to be soft on accountability. Right, right. But, but I encourage them to be nimble. Like they may have to, in one moment, give somebody some really tough feedback on, on something they didn't deliver or Maybe they're doing something and their, their behavior, their performance is going to take their, their career to the ditch. Give them that feedback in the moment and pivot and extend the offer of coaching. Mm. You can always tell when you're with a great coach-like leader because they never give up on, they're never soft on accountability. You make a commitment to them, they're going to call you on that. Most coaches are real strong on accountability. I hold my clients accountable. Right. It may sound odd, but if my client tells me she or he's going to do something in the next week, next time we talk, I want to know what they did. Right. In service of them, I hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what, what should we as leaders be looking, what are the things we should be looking to coach on or not coach on? Is there a specific lane that, that you think we should stick in? 
Well, I'm biased. I think that uh, we should get through the giving advice and telling people what to do and, yes. and training skills as quickly as possible so we can work almost exclusively in that area. Okay. So if you look at, look at it this way, how many conversations a day do most of us have with other people regarding work, performance, careers, mm -hmm. markets, and such? 10, 15, 20 conversations. Yep. Now, what if the person left those conversations half the time? They left half of those conversations better in some way. Right. More inspired, more energized, more committed with a new idea, without whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. So I think that we need to be as coach-like as we can, as often as we can. Mm -hmm. I know for me, like I'm also the leader of the company. I mean, I, I uh, suffer inside a blue point with all the same challenges that, yeah. that other leaders do. And I love to tell people what to do. I love to spew advice. I, I love to be professorial and the like. Yeah. I believe that I'm at my very best when I work as a catalyst for the performance and learning and development of others. And so, you know, a lot of organizations, and I have, I have no idea the stat, but I, I would guess that 75% of organizations today have managers, command and control versus coaches. How, do, how does someone who has always been a manager make that pivot to becoming a good coach? Well, the, I think, first of all, um, it's helpful when they realize that, that we may not all become physicians, lawyers, accountants, and the like. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons that I do what I do as a coach is because it's within the, the reach of all of us. Mm. I have not met one person yet, ever, one leader yet, who cannot be more coach-like. And helping them realize that they really can have more impact on people when they function as a coach-like leader yeah. than as that command and control uh, leader. Man, I, I, I just see all kinds of, of women and men make that shift. Now, it's not easy, and my heart goes out to them. And as you say, it's not without its risk. When you are coach-like, see, one of the problems with a lot of things written in, in, in these days about coaching is that somehow that's going to be nirvana. That is a crock. When you are really a coach-like leader, you are taking risks. As you had mentioned earlier, you are accountable. Right. So part of being coach-like is to giving people latitude, allowing people to make mistakes, allowing people to make their, their own decisions. Your performance may suffer because of that. And so when we ask, we need to be very understanding. When we ask our leaders to be more coach-like, we're asking them to potentially have their own performance judged poorer in the short term, because they're making that investment and taking that risk on other people. How do you sell that across the line? Some people must, that, that, that's, some people have to say, forget it, like not gonna happen, like, yeah. you know? Well, they, they, when increasingly, when you look around organizations these days, is that the coach-like leaders are simply uh, excelling. And fortunately, mm. a lot of our millennial leaders are coming in uh, to the organization and yep. are moving up into leadership roles. This mm -hmm. has come almost second nature to them. The whole idea of being part of a high performance community, the mm. whole idea about helping others learn, grow, develop is, is uh, much more part of their uh, ethos mm -hmm. than men and women my age, quite frankly. And so go back to the process for a sec, Greg. So, so can you can you kind of walk us through at a high level what that looks like? So we're sitting down to have a conversation. You're going to, you know, I said, look, I've got a challenge with a, a coworker. I've got this problem. Um, so you start to ask me questions. How do you know you got to the core issue? How do you know when you've reached it, you know? Well, typically you, the other person will know and they, and they will tell you. The, the, the 
if you look at the, the, the conversation mm-hmm. as the person, the other person is responsible for the agenda. It's their agenda. We may challenge it. We may want them to, to pick a, you know, challenge them to, to search out a higher agenda. Yeah. Ask them something like this. We got 15 minutes together. Is this the most important thing we could be talking about? So if you look at the other person have responsibility for the agenda, we as a coach, we have responsibility for the process. Mm. And so loosely, um, I encourage my clients to follow kind of three processes okay. in, or three, three, three steps. And in, in, in it's more of a flow. It's discovery, creation, and commitment. Uh, yeah. Co-learning with the other person. Mm-hmm. It's not teaching. It's co-learning with them. And Love then exploring options and really challenging them to look at, at things that scare them, look at things that excite them in these options. And then, okay, what are you going to do about it? Mm. Unless something changes, unless somebody makes a commitment to do something different, it's not coaching. It's just a nice conversation. And mm, you know, one of my clients, one of my clients mentioned to me one time, well, Greg, you know, you really are a professional nag. And I am a bit, you know, is it that in service of my clients, I asked them, okay, what are you going to do about this? Mm. To whom are you going to be accountable? When are you going to do it? Can we talk about it next, next time, next time we meet? Mm-hmm. And when we hold people accountable, that conversation has real meaning. But how do, how do you know they, just because, like, how do you know if, you've, if they've switched from, to, to get buy-in on the process, you know? So, so I've had so many conversations and I'm just like, they're not bought into that. Even if they've made commitments, you know, maybe I didn't go deep enough. Well, when we seek, when we seek to get affirmation in the conversation, we tend to be not functioning in a very coach-like way. So when we master the art of coaching, it is not our role to judge the impact of the conversation. You see, even there, Ron, what you're, what you're going through is, am I doing a good job? Yes. And for me, when I try to be a good coach, when I try to be a master coach, I'm not very good. Mm. When I'm at my best, I even subordinate that piece. And I try not to measure the, the impact of the, of the, of the conversation mm. and simply try to be helpful, to be a catalyst in every part of that conversation. That keeps when it really I, clean, right? That keeps it so clean. It's all, it is about them, not about you then. Right. I keep the, the accountability. It's your problem. It's yeah. your opportunity. You right. see, when I start trying to judge the impact of my coaching even, I yeah. start taking on some of the, the, the responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I, I, these things are not always easy to do, by the way. I mean, they- but Yeah, but yeah, well, give me some tips. How do you, because that is tough. That is very tough. How have you, um, you know, through, through this whole process, been able to step back? What tools do you use to even step back and stay clean? Well, one of the things that I do, I, I, I rarely talk about this. It, it sounds kind of gooey, but I, I will, because you asked the, uh, the question. Is, is, we love gooey. I'm very much like you. I mean, I, I, I lead a frenetic life. I got business. I have a family and, and lots of activities and such. And, and so what I found is if I go right up to start my coaching conversation, I bring all that into the conversation. And I bring my ego into that conversation as well. Mm-hmm. And so here's where it gets a little bit sucky. Is 10 or 15 minutes before any coaching conversation, I stop and I do nothing. Push everything off my desk. Mm-hmm. And I, I write a few notes to get them out, out of my mind. And I fall in love with my client. And what I mean by that is not that I like them. What I mean by that is I will, I commit to doing everything in my power 
to subordinate my own needs and ego and uh, desires in the conversation and make it all about the other person. And I mean, I'm no, I'm no Buddhist monk, you know, wearing mm -hmm. sackcloth and such like that. I, I have a normal ego and I have normal uh, issues that other people do. But I find the discipline of doing that mm. for me really puts up a, a solid wall. Of, uh, it's not even my own uh, values and aspirations and such. I need to temporarily subordinate those. And mm. I, I tell you, I have found that that has freed me up to be a much better coach. Um, I'm not sure how you, how you, uh, put that into practice. Right. But for 10 or 15 minutes, I try to make it about the other person prior to the conversation. Now I don't always get that opportunity. So, so do you continue to question yourself? So I were in the session. I'm like, am I really, is this about Greg or about me right now? Are you asking that question? Does that help? Yeah. If, and, and thank you. If I have two conversations going on in my head at the same time, mm -hmm. then I have a problem. Then I have a, I'm done. <laughs> I, I have five at yeah, all I times. Have, what I what I need to do if I see, I really need to to be present in the conversation. Right. For, right. for uh, uh, people like you and I, Ron, we've probably got you know 15 projects on the go all at one mm. time. But people know if we are present. People know if we are present. Um, I have a, a story. Can I can I share a brief story? Please, please. So I have a, uh, a beautiful uh, blonde in my life. Uh, her name is Violet, and she's now eight years old. She's my granddaughter. And Violet loves to play Little Mermaid. And a little while back, and, you know, I don't know how I do it, but I can get down on the carpet with her and, and play Little Mermaid for, for an hour. And I mean, I, I'm ADD uh, as well. And, but I can play with her, but every once in a while, uh, she'll turn to me and she'll grab my chin. And you know, the human chin, can't stop you have no strength in your chin and she'll grab my chin and she'll say papa you're not here and she'll pull my chin to the side and what she's saying is i'm not present mm -hmm. and so what i was doing is in in while i was being uh uh one of the uh sea world characters i was allowing my mind and such to drift away so it is a discipline the discipline of being totally present with somebody else, bringing yourself totally to that conversation. Uh, again, it sounds a little, little new agey. I get it. It is. See, the thing is, they know. Here's the, 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 the issue is that the, your staff are not going to reach out to you and grab your chin and say you're not here. No. What they do is they fire us mid-conversation. Mid-conversation. As, as, as soon as we're no longer present, as soon as we have that second conversation yeah. going in our head. Yeah. They know, we know when people aren't present. Yeah. You know, I can look at you, I can make a head bob, and I can be organizing my emails at the same time. Yeah. And so it is, I believe it, it it's a commitment and a discipline, and none of us are perfect. So when you, you know, say they fire you, they've said, look, I'm not doing this again. You're not here. You're not with me. This is over. I'm, I'm checking out of this conversation. Well, as, this conversation, it, they, they stop allowing the conversation to, 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 uh, to touch you. We all do it. Yeah, we all and, fire and, and that's the opposite of building trust. Now I've I've actually created a wedge, right? Right. It can be. It it can, it can be if it if it's prevalent. If it if you continue, people are very forgiving. We all do it to some degree. We all turn people off. But I find people are very forgiving uh, if we have the intention of correcting that. Mm -hmm. The the people know if we are in the real conversation with them. Now it doesn't have to take long. You know, it, it, it can be very brief. It can, it can take quite a while. 
It's interesting. I'm just thinking as you're talking and which I shouldn't be because then it was a second conversation. Sorry, Greg. Uh, but I think one of my challenges is if, if, if someone presents me with something or I see something, in some cases, I've made up my mind to what the right way to handle that problem is. And I think if I could let go of that, that would allow me to be more present and stop focusing on this thing that maybe I'm trying to draw someone to. Mm-hmm. I think that's been my challenge is, is in some cases, I've solved the problem. As soon as I get enough information from you, I go to my experience or I ideate or blah, 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 and boom, I can just try to throw something out there or lead the witness to this idea, which is about me. It's not about you. Right. Uh, yeah. But you, you actually can do both. The, the, uh, the great coach leaders, coach like leaders, are, are able to make the shift mid-conversation. And so say somebody comes to you and say, like, how do you handle this? I'm not saying don't, don't tell them that. Uh, don't share your expertise, uh, but be thinking about this. Is that somebody comes to you and says, like, how would you handle this, this, this situation with your client? Yep. You might say, well, here's how I might handle it, but I think you could probably do it 10 times better. How do you think you might do it? How might you use your unique talents to even do a better job with that, with that client? Mm-hmm. Let, let's explore that. Like, why don't we have a conversation about what you might do to, uh, to do something extraordinary special for that particular client? Mm-hmm. So, so making the shift into a coaching conversation uh, is also a, a, a skill that I think most leaders should, should develop. And that shift is how do you think you're going to do this? How do you feel that you can help yourself in this situation, correct? Would that be the shift? Now we're coaching. Now you were coaching when we moved beyond me giving you advice. Yes. What are you going to do with that advice? Yeah. And, and, you know, be candid. Do you value that advice? If you don't want to value that advice, is there another pathway we might want to look at? But it, it's shifting into that. Giving advice is easy and it's quick, and we do it to for all the best of best of intentions. When we are coach-like, we move far beyond that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I love that. Um, and so, once you get them there, once you get to accountability, let's call it, and someone says, "Yeah, okay, I'm accountable. Here's what I'm going to do." What does that look like? What in a, in a best case scenario? It's what what do you advise your clients on the accountability follow-up portion? Is there one way, multiple ways? The prime objective of the coach is to help the other person become ultimately accountable to themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and to build this idea that if I make a commitment, if I make a promise, I'm going to always deliver on that. So the one thing they might do is to be that temporary connection between intention and action. Okay. So as a leader, if somebody tells me they're going to do something, um, I would most appreciate them being accountable to themselves. Now, all of us can make excuses and we lie to ourselves and we let ourselves off easy and the like. And so early on in that relationship or conversation or project, I will position myself as that link between intention and action. And uh, if they, uh, if they intend on doing something, I'm going to check up on them. Increasingly, I encourage them to find other people to be accountable to. I'll ask them, like, who would you like to be accountable? Who, who would be a good person for you to be accountable to? And then we talk about this idea of personal accountability because it is the most powerful accountability. When you make a commitment or promise to yourself mm-hmm. and you hold yourself accountable, other people don't bother with you. They don't bother holding you accountable because they know that if it doesn't get done, I mean – you would die trying 
because they right. know you got this, this sense of personal accountability and you don't need to be checked up on. Yeah, there's this ownership, right? So if I own it, if I came up with the solution, I'm owning my accountability piece. I'm, I, I, I've got to hire back to the data. I mean, it's got to be, uh, I've got a higher likelihood that I'm going to be successful because I'm owning it, correct? Whereas you saying, okay, so Ron, you're going to do this at this date and, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we all have people in our, in our circuits, in our, uh, in our world, in our communities that we know have just a real high degree of personal accountability. And what these uh, wonderful men and women have done is they have just made commitments and promises to themselves that they want to honor. Mm-hmm. And that's very visible to their clients as well. Very visible to their clients. And it sets a model, it sets a pattern as well. So leaders, the way that we help our team members become more accountable, value accountability, is by modeling it ourselves. Mm. Always, always do what we say we're going to do. Or come back and explain why we didn't. Mm -hmm. Continue to ask for commitments. I even encourage my my clients to use different language. And instead of for deliverables or asking for outcomes, make promises to each other. You, know, you ever want to see that. a group of executives break out into a sweat at the end of a meeting, ask them to make promises to each other. Oh, I love promises versus outcome KPI. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, if, Mark, if Dr. Martin Luther King had walked out on that hot August day and said, I have a set of deliverables, I mean, we wouldn't be listening to his speech today. Coaches use language like promises and dreams and passions because those are the words that really connect with the human spirit. And again, I know that sounds a little gooey. No, but, I love it. But those are the... Business speak is designed to take the edge off things. Mm. Outcomes, deliverables is designed to take the edge off a real commitment, mm. a real commitment. Oh, I love that. I love promises. I just think that we, we as human beings gravitate to, wow, like my own ego now, this is a promise you know, that I've made and I'm going to keep my word. I, I love that. That's great. Um, so what about... Greg, what do you advise your clients on? Like, oh my God, I've coached this Ron Lovett, you know, five times on this thing. It's time. I, I can't get them there. I can't get him or her to this point where they need to be. When do they give up? When do they move on? I mean, that's got to happen all the time where people are just like, wow, I'm, this coaching thing isn't going well with this individual. Is there a line in the sand when they should, we should stop and sure. stop wasting Probably, probably should have fired them months ago. Yeah. Um, however, is this is that we need to see that as our failure, not theirs. They are, they, that poor performer is a manifestation of my leadership. And once I recognize that, and if I can't do anything about it, then yeah, you should, take, you should put him or her out of your, 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 their misery. The however is this, is that I, I would say you haven't been coaching. It's not coaching unless the other person is a willing participant in the conversation. Mm. That's not coaching. You've been doing some other kind of supervisory correction, corrective work. And, and quite frankly, if somebody's poor performing, you shouldn't be coaching them. You should be correcting the performance with them and then extending the offer of coaching, which they willingly will join or not. Mm. So there is nothing in this idea of coaching that suggests we should put up with poor performance. As a matter of fact, we should be the first to identify it. The however is this number one, most times it's a product of our leadership to some yeah. degree. Yeah. Product of our leadership to some degree. And secondly, 
is that as quickly as possible, we need to extend that offer of coaching. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny you say extend the offer because this is a big debate. You know, I, I, I think that a lot of companies do coaching in the quarterly, if they do that, or the bi-yearly review or the year review. I think that's BS um, because I always go back to sports and say, you know, if you ever played sports, when does your coach make a comment? They don't wait till quarter season, half season, end of the season. It's real time right away. What are your thoughts on that? Should it be real time? Should we be waiting? Is there an answer? Um, I look at, look at this coaching through three modes for the leader. Mm -hmm. And I, I would encourage the leaders uh, listening in on this podcast to consider this as well. These three different modes of coaching. The first is really a fairly formal coaching relationship. I would encourage them to always have one on the go, very similar to the way that I would work with one of my clients. Yeah. Meet weekly, bi-weekly, meet over some period of time, three to six months. It will be an amazing experience, both for you and for the other person. Mm -hmm. And you can always have one on the go, and you'll be amazed at how your skills will improve as a coach. Number two is just be ready to coach in the moment. Mm -hmm. Coaching just in the moment. I am on this call with you today, Ron, because of a 30-second conversation several years ago. Um, I was at a leadership development uh, uh, workshop, three days. Uh, it was a great workshop, off-site. Um, at the time, I was at, um, in the, uh, in the uh, environmental engineering business running 14 offices across the U.S. and Canada. At the end of the session, the facilitator took me aside and said, Greg, I can see you doing this work. Probably wasn't a 30-second conversation. It probably was a 20-second conversation. Mm. Never a blip on my screen. My career was going in an entirely different direction. Interesting. That one conversation, he saw something in me I couldn't even see in myself, and it changed everything for me. So the, the second one is just being prepared to have that quick conversation after a meeting, to, to have that uh, uh, appreciation or affirmative conversation in, in the hallway with, uh, with, with a colleague. Just be sensitive to how you might say something in the moment to be uh, uh, impactful on somebody else. And then the third one is really the one that you were referring to uh, earlier in terms of where does this coaching thing fit into my day-to-day -day work. And it's making a commitment to be just simply more coach-like, to push towards doing more coaching as opposed to uh, uh, fixing things, as opposed to advising people. And stop being the, 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 the chief advisor in the organization, mm, but being the that. master coach in the organization. Oh, yeah, great. Love that. So a couple other questions, and I want to flip. I've got a, a, a few of the attendees have sent some questions in, and then we'll flip to Shannon for some live questions if we can. What are some biggest pitfalls? I, I, you know, hear you loud and clear. It's not about me. It's about them. What are some biggest mistakes that you're seeing from your clients that, that, that we should watch out for? Some blind spots that will just come up as we go through this. Maybe some of you mentioned and, and maybe you've got some others. Sure. The, if you look at, um, at this idea of coaching and a lot of that, the wonderful men and women that I work with are fairly senior in, in organizations and are looking to establish a coaching culture uh, in, in the organization, organization. A lot of them are getting rid of their performance appraisal processes and, and, and saying, okay, we want everybody to, to coach. Uh, well, first of all, the, if you take a, a you know, classic mid-level manager who has been leading and managing one way all of, all of her or his life, uh, not equipping them with some semblance of coaching skills uh, 
Mm -hmm. an, an idea about how they might engage in conversations, how they might earn the right to be in those conversations mm. is incredibly important. You cannot mandate a coaching culture throughout the organization. You need to support it. But with the mistakes that most leaders make in that is expecting everybody else to be uh, the, the coach and not be coached like themselves. If you look at the organizations that are serious about, about, about coaching and creating a coaching culture, the hallmarks are really e easy to see. Number one, the, the, the leaders are trusted and seen as, as competent. Uh, Well-intentioned feedback flows freely through the organization. Difficult conversations are, uh, are, are routine. And the one that is the, the tell-all, people delight in the success of others. Now, at first, at first blush, one would think, well, of course I delight. I'm pleased to see other people successful. Not true. You sit in on a lot of management committee meetings. There is a, often a, a counterproductive competition amongst department heads and the like. Egos. Um, the, what, the idea about really delighting in the success of others as a theme in organizations mm. sets a wonderful foundation for coaching. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it is rare, but fortunately, it is increasing. A number of large companies, uh, through the, the brilliance of their CEOs, are now developing this culture where people are being judged, not on their own performance, but being judged on the performance of other people around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that also came to me as I was reading your book, and you just said it now, you feel we should get outside help, i.e., hey, everybody, we are now, uh, you know, we want to have a, a coaching culture here. So just coach everybody. You know, and I feel like I fell into that trap in my last business. Right. Uh, I didn't provide any outside assistance to really say you should, you know, you build trust, get permission, and then go through this process. No there was no guidance. It was just be a coach, be a coach, you know. You know um, and I think I really dropped the ball on that. It, yeah, it's uh, interesting. Is that, of course, I'm um, I'm biased on this uh, this subject because I'm in the coach training business. I mean, uh, a lot of what I do is besides functioning as a coach, is a coach training uh, program. Um, I just find it interesting. I want our uh, leaders to be uh, more uh, financially uh, have better business acumen. We provide them accounting and business uh, uh, training. Yeah. Uh, if we want them to uh, understand uh, uh, human rights issues, uh, we provide them training in that area. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm not saying it's absolutely necessary, but I have had such great experience with, with men and women in highly experiential uh, training programs when they don't do roles, they do actual coaching and, and practice something using some of these processes and tools. Mm -hmm. Not only do they, not only do they come away more more skilled at coaching they come away excited about doing coaching which i think right. is at least half the the battle because they can see the coach in themselves right one of the, one of the problems with with uh using coaching into an organization is helping people see that that everybody can ask somebody a question everybody can give a uh, an affirmation can help people sort through challenging uh issues and look at really cool uh, solutions to an issue we all can do it but it's getting people to see that coach in themselves and get excited about doing that. And Greg, on some of your larger clients, and I'll end with this and I'll pivot to some questions, but you know, so if they've had outside help to teach them the coaching process, 
once you've identified just some really good coaches, so all of a sudden the accounting manager is a great coach, are they open to, okay, if you are having a challenge and you're in operations or sales, go see uh, Susan, the accounting manager, because she's just such a great coach. Are they doing cross-function coaching because it's not about training the specific thing anymore, it's about coaching? Uh, absolutely. Um, and it really happens in, in two ways. One is it happens organically, um, as you mentioned. And uh, when you hit a critical mass, you just see that happening throughout, throughout the organization. Yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of very progressive organizations um, that we work for, for uh, Eastman Chemicals, uh, Mayo Clinic, master coaches. And so what is really cool, is, and this works us out of a job, and I love it is what they do is they, um, they find men and women throughout the organization's different levels and they, they create this internal coaches who are available one-off or available for longer-term coaching assignments. Mm -hmm. yeah, Very great. cool. Very yeah, cool. Lo love that. All right, Greg, I'm going to switch to a couple questions here. Um, I've got one uh, from a good friend of mine, Wayne Crowley, who's on here today, and he's asking – are there two or three important attributes to look for in managers uh, when we're on the hiring side to ensure that hopefully they'll be good coaches? What are we looking for on the hiring process to say, yeah, this person will be a good coach because it's important here? I think the number one is that the individual may not have the coaching skills yet, mm -hmm. but is, has an orientation towards uh, humility and service. That they may be driven, they may have uh, uh, healthy egos uh, and the like, but they're open to the idea of serving others and being a catalyst for others. That, that, that is, is uh, um, probably number one. We did some work a while back in terms of looking at the values people most appreciate in, in, uh, in, in coaches. And I just have my notes with me. I'll just share the, the, the top yeah. three or four. Honesty, integrity, number one. Uh, accountability and responsibility, number two. Tolerance and open-mindedness, number three. Learning and development, number four. So if you look at those together, mm. it's really about being the kind of person that people would, would trust and yeah. recognizing that everything they do is, goes on a list and that they have a choice as to whether or not they're going to be that kind of a person. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, the, as I mentioned before, a lot of the millennials coming into the workforce now, and they're in their you know, early, uh, early uh, uh, leadership stages, uh, really, really share those, those, uh, those values. Mm -hmm. um, you know, years ago, we used to say, well, you know, there's a leadership track, and then there's a technical track, and you didn't, you didn't really need to have leadership skills and interpersonal skills and coaching skills in that track. That's pretty rare these days. Mm -hmm. You know, it's pretty rare, uh, you know, to not see that leadership is everyone's business. Right. And so I think we need to be hiring uh, uh, for that. Okay. I, I think the question, though, is not so much our hiring criteria. I think where we should be putting our energy is to be building the kind of cultures, and this is the kind of work that you, you do, Ron, building the kind of cultures that attract young men and women. Mm into our organizations who want to be part of that want right forms communities want to be part of, of places where they can learn and develop and grow and they can contribute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. Uh, 
I've got a question from, from Ray Bowman. This is interesting. I hadn't thought about this. Is the, he, he, he says, look, can we discuss the limits of confidentiality within an organization? So, so if someone's coaching and and they, they come across information, you know, so I'm coaching, you know, maybe I'm not CEO, but I'm a, I'm a manager of a, uh, you know, finance and I've coached someone who tells me they've got a big problem with alcohol or something. I don't know that could affect the business. How do you advise your clients on confidentiality with coaching? Again, this, this is much more challenge for somebody uh, inside an organization that is, is for me yeah. Yeah. as a, as an outsider. Because uh, I get a free pass, um, oh. I, it's all confidential, and so it's a free pass. I don't, I don't even have conversations with my client's boss uh, about things we talk about. Not mm. that it's all a bunch of secret, secret stuff, but just gives us yeah. uh, more scope to to have uh, conversations. Um, I, I really encourage my uh, uh, clients who are inside organizations who are trying to function in, in a coach-like way to always make it known that the uh, within reason, everything that, that we talk about in the coaching conversation is confidential between you and me. Yeah. However, and the however is this, if in my judgment as a steward of corporate property, of corporate mm. principles, of the corporate uh, uh, value structure, yep. we talk about something that I need to take action on. I will tell you this now. I will take action on it. And so I... I encourage them not to back off from that because people respect that. People respect the fact that you won't hold on to something that is negative to other people, potentially negative to the organization, uh, and do it uh, um, out of some, I think, misguided commitment uh, to these other individuals. Mm -hmm. The leader coach inside an organization has a commitment to the other person but also has a commitment to the organization and the well-being of, of right. the uh, other people in the organization. Yeah. The safety and security of everybody. That's right. Yeah. Great answer. Um, I've got one from uh, Evelina. What is the role of coaching in supporting organizational mental health? Thoughts on that? Um, there's quite a bit of research uh, has, has been done on that. Uh, none of it absolutely definitive, and most of it mm -hmm. is, is is anecdotal and the like. Um, but again, I, I'm biased in that direction. The, the the one thing I do know is that people who hate their work, don't like their boss, have horrible lives. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, yeah. I've totally. yet to find somebody who didn't have an awful job and an awful boss who was happy in life. I mean, it's just really crappy. Mm. It's interesting, you know, that, that we talk about, you know, we got a lot of families and communities and work-life balance and, and such. Most adults spend the majority of our adult life on this planet, in this life journey, at work or thinking about work. So think about it. Most of our, our human energy from probably 25 to 60 is about work. And so if that's a horrid experience, it has to impact our, our mental uh, uh, acuity, yeah. our uh, mental health. We're optimistic about our career opportunities where we are uh, uh, treated with dignity and respect when people want to have conversations about what's important to us. I mean, I, I can't imagine that wouldn't be a healthy environment to be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, Greg, I'm going to, 
push this over to Shannon and see if there's any, uh, I don't know if there's any questions that are coming up, but I just want to say thank you once again. I'm certainly, and I hope you're okay with this. We're talking about you and your, your, your the work that you do in your book in our section, uh, our chapter of coaching. And I'm, I wrote down and circled promises. I love that. We are going to capture that. I just think that was um, a big um, message that I got out of today's conversation. So I want to thank you again uh, for myself and everybody who gave their time today um, for giving us your time. Um, I appreciate that. Shannon, do you have any questions? Anybody had sent any uh, while we're talking here that you want yeah. to throw up? Like Greg answered a question or two. Um, and, and look, a lot of the questions got covered. It was such an awesome conversation that a lot of it got just covered through the natural course of the conversation, which is amazing. But uh, one, one question that came out and it was uh, anonymous is that when you're coaching someone, when do you know that they've got there and they're ready to go and implement this knowledge? Um, like when you coach someone, when do you realize that it's time to finish the coaching session or even when you know it's, it's done? Yeah, that's a, uh, an excellent, uh, excellent question. Um, typically, when there is a fair amount of silence into the conversation, and it starts to, or the conversation starts to uh, turn back on itself, I just, I think one that needs to go with their intuition. And what I do, and I hope this is helpful, I ask myself, am I being helpful? Can I be more helpful? And if I'm truly honest with myself, that gives me a pretty good indication that now would be a good time to, to wrap up the conversation. I like to end on a high. I like to try to end on the conversation where the person has made a decision, they're committed to some action, uh, they're excited about what they're going to do tomorrow, uh, or they, they, they have some new uh, uh, insight that they, they have discovered. And uh, so... Typically, I, I do the best I can with my intuition to try not to drag that, that conversation out. The however is this. If I don't think it's done, um, I, I, I was being coached by one of our coaches here a couple of years back, and he asked the same question probably 45 times because he heart of hearts that I was not answering that question fully to my own satisfaction. And it took us about two hours to get through that conversation. Extraordinarily helpful uh, to me. Um, but his sense was that I was just not ready to, to finish that conversation. Greg, was he, did he ask the same question or was he, why? Tell me more. Tell me more. How did he continue to ask that question? How did he dig? It, it, it wasn't just as, as straightforward as me, uh, as him just asking the same question over and over. Yeah. He would explore that question. He would ask me, is that all there is to that question? Are there any dimensions to that question? And he give me feedback in a moment. He says, Greg, you know, the words and the music don't go together here for mm -hmm. me. I mean, do, do they for you? If they go together for you, we can end the, end the conversation. Mm -hmm. but it sounds like we should explore that question some more. Are you, are you fully answering that question for you? And mm -hmm. he, he's a great coach because he, he continued to make it all of me. I could have terminated the conversation at any point. I could right. have said, I got it. I got it. Mm -hmm. But he was—he cared enough about me to not let me off the hook. Not let you off the hook. Was, I, I thought that. it was very, very cool. Shannon, I know you've got a question. I'm going to just fire one up because I was just looking at the question bank. Neil Lewis, who I know is a coach from uh, a Scaling Up Coach from the UK, is on here, and his question was: Have you advised your uh, clients 
to do anything in this environment, everybody's moved virtually. What is there anything we should be pivoting to or thinking about in this type of environment, Greg, you know, during COVID-19 as most have moved to virtual or telephone or different ways of, of coaching? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, quite frankly, I do a lot of my coaching is via telephone and it can be very, very powerful. Matter of fact, in many ways, uh, it, it saves a lot of time and we get, get right down to it. Uh, mm-hmm. So if I'm at my client's office and they don't have to offer me a coffee, we don't need to talk about football and we can pretty much get into it right away, uh, which is great. We use, use the time, uh, use the time well. Mm-hmm. Coaching, I think, has a, we do a lot of work these days around building and, and leading virtual teams. And coaching is right at the core of that. The reason being is that we have these um, wonderful men and women who are part of our communities, but they're all out there as lone wolves, right? right? They're all out there. And so knowing that somebody cares about them, knowing that somebody's going to have a conversation with them, not about the business, but about them and how they're doing and what they, what the leader can on a weekly or biweekly basis, which is essentially coaching is, has a big, big payoff for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Men and women are used to having human interaction or breathing the same air as their teammates. They struggle oftentimes not with the technical details of, of virtual work, but the question is, does anybody care? I mean, does, does anybody care about me really as a, as a, as a person? Um, and the beauty of coaching is you can do wonderful coaching via telephone. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, uh, thanks again. It looks like that was a question Sham was going to ask anyway. So thank you so much. Uh, from the bottom of my heart and everybody else, uh, forgive us your time and forgive us that book. I mean, that is just uh, an excellent book. And I would highly recommend if you haven't read Ma- The Master, it's The Master Coach or Master Coach? The Master Coach. The Master Coach. Um, it is an incredible book. It is one, have your highlighter and your pen ready and mark the hell out of it. It's a great book. So Greg, thank you once again. Well, thank you, Ron. It's been a privilege. To, I, I am such an admirer of your work. Uh, because it, it really hits the core of leading organizations in a different way and abandoning a lot of principles that we thought work and they simply do not work. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great admirer of your work and I, it's an honor and a privilege really to be here today. Thanks, vice versa. Thanks, Greg. Uh, and we'll be in touch. You take care of yourself. Thanks, everybody. For more information on Greg Thompson and anything related to scaling culture, please see the show description. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest. Thanks.